wanted to report to you, uh, we're a little loud, I think, gentlemen. I wanted to report to you that evangelical churches and ministries now, evangelical, those are those that were birthed out of the uh, Reformation. They saw an increase in giving in 2017, the highest increase since 2014, according to a new report by the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. It reflects that uh, the uh, financial times of the United States have been better beginning in 2017. And these are uh, evangelical churches that belong to an accredited organization for accountability. So it doesn't mean that this includes all churches, but just those that they uh, have contact with saw this kind of increase. They received approximately $13.3 in cash donations in 2017. Uh, that, in church terms, seems like a lot of money, but uh, I want to remember that too much of that goes to bureaucratic, bureaucratic uh, expenditures to maintain uh, all kinds of offices. Quite frankly, um, the other day, we drove past the uh, Southern District Headquarters building, the Assemblies of God. And I'm thinking, do they really need that? Um, what do they do besides coordinate and organize mm -hmm. pastors? Mm -hmm. Then I think about all the money that my former denomination has spent and currently spends on offices and headquarters to the tune of millions and millions and millions of dollars. Is that really necessary? I don't think so. I sort of admire, even though I do not agree with them theologically, I admire the Churches of Christ. Any of the TV shows that they have on, they never request money. Ever. And they, uh, they support those TV broadcasts by area, Churches of Christ. That's admirable. And even though I don't agree with the Primitive Baptist and their theology and doctrine, I admire the fact that uh, they never know from Sunday to Sunday who's going to be preaching because they have some elders and the elders don't know until they show up at church and they always have to be ready with a message. So they don't have a professional clergy. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you go to a primitive Baptist church and you're a man, instead of include women, they don't allow women in the pulpit. If you're a man and you've been there very long and you're a member in good standing and you reach the point where you're acknowledged as someone who ought to be able to do something, you don't dare show up to worship unless you're prepared to preach. Because it may be that you'll be called on. Isn't that refreshing? Sort of reminds me of first century church. People would gather in the homes and they weren't really sure who was going to be speaking that day. In other words, they did not have a professional clergy. It may very well be that the seminaries have been the bane of Christianity after all. Yeah. Um, remember they said of the Apostle Paul one time, they said, Paul, I think that much learning has made you mad. Yep. And there was an old boy who was a, a layman in the old Methodist church, Harry Denman, who was their general secretary for evangelism. 
He never married. He never had time to have a wife and children. He was too busy serving God. And old Harry Denman, uh, they would, he had the same suit wore every day till it was shiny. But he always had a white shirt and a tie and that same old suit. It got so, it was so worn. I had, I had a college professor like that. Same old suit, she would just shine from age. Some of you, have you ever seen a shiny old suit? A man wore a suit till it was just shiny? Well, they'd buy Harry a new suit. Put him on a train in those days to go someplace to speak. And they say, now, Dr. Denman, don't give away this suit. It's for you to wear. He wouldn't say a word. The first time the train would stop at some depot, Harry Denman would get off and go find someone to give that new suit to him. He always gave him away. <laughs> and then they built a new headquarters for evangelism in Nashville. And on it, they built a little apartment next to the office, Harry's office. Nice little apartment. They came in one, one morning a little early and Harry had overslept. They found him on his desk sleeping. They said, Dr. Denman, why, why are you sleeping on your desk? We, we built you an apartment here. He said, that's too good for me. I don't deserve that. Oh, that we had more Harry Denmans in today's world. Instead, we have a bunch of preachers who want mansions mm -hmm. and a bunch of silly people paying for them. Right. We have preachers that every one of their programs, they're selling something, and yet we have Josh that I had to push and push and push and push to get him to record something. You realize if something happened to Josh, his music is gone unless he recorded it, and he has. That's significant. So when we're thinking about money and the future of the church, we need to be thinking about these headquarters of these denominations, whatever denomination it is, it's a waste of God's money. Now, if any of you want to get into a discussion about this sometime, let me know, make an appointment by and see me, and I'll be prepared to unload on you everything that you need to know. From my 64 years in the ministry, coming up soon to start 65th year, to my experience with seminaries, my experience with colleges and universities, and I'll begin to tell you what it's all about my experience with the denominational churches and also independent churches. I know some independent preachers, Pentecostal, most of them Pentecostal, who buy and sell the churches. They buy and sell their congregations. Did you know that? Hmm. I know one who's been a friend of mine for many years. He started a church from scratch in a little town way up in North Missouri. Pastored it for years. And he spotted an old school bus and decided to make good traveling quarters. He also spotted a young widow in his congregation, and he was a widower. He sparked the young widow, won her hand, and pretty soon he had that old school bus all fixed up, turned into a traveling uh, vehicle that you could live in. Mm -hmm. And there was a young couple that regularly came at least once a year, maybe twice a year, to preach a revival in his church. He sold them the church, sold them the building and the congregation. Hmm. It's his business. Hmm. Most folks don't realize these independent preachers, they've got an independent business going. 
So there's enough of this kind of stuff going around that it makes you wonder how long is God going to be patient with this nation, with the so-called church, and with us. There's plenty of going around. More than enough going around. Well, if you uh, happen to have a Bible with you, you turn to first Corinthians. Get ready, because in just a little bit, I've got a little special message about the Holy Spirit for you. First Corinthians. And it will be chapter 12. But before I get to that, uh, I want to get back on this thing about the established church as we know it today because uh, when you come here, I, I intend to always give you the truth. And uh, believe you me, I have done my homework, I do my research, I listen, and uh, when I bring to you some truth, it is the truth as far as I've been able to find it. And uh, anybody that wanted to take the time to go online and check some of these things out concerning the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, whether it's uh, Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, or whether you uh, want to look at the Church of England, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, whether you want to look at the Methodists, Baptists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Assemblies, etc. Look at all of them and you will discover that in each one of them there are too many man-made things. It's very difficult to find the God-constructed parts. Here we are, a little independent group. We call it First Acts Church, Springfield. We're not organized like a typical church. We really aren't. But we are legally a church. And on purpose, I have not cluttered it up with an excessive amount of organization. This is one time when you should be able to attend church and I have to worry about a committee meeting. Amen. All right. <laughs> Preach it. Now I'm uh, ready for you to give attention to spiritual gifts as recorded. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now begin reading with verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says... Let Jesus be cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the discernment of spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses it is important for us to tag this then with verse 15, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in the one spirit we were all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Made to drink of one spirit. If you don't drink of the one spirit, you will become dehydrated spiritually. Now, my message for today concerns the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm anticipating that probably in the next few messages I'll be really teaching you more and more about the Holy Spirit. I find it very, very disconcerting that in our churches of today there's not enough emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And in the churches that do pretend at least to have an emphasis on the Holy Spirit, quite often they call him the Holy Ghost in old King James Version terms. The Holy Ghost. And then when they get the Holy Ghost, sometimes they act as though they have an unholy ghost. I'm not convinced that, that just because someone has an emotional experience that it necessarily means they've had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I think the two may be pretty well divided. Yeah. Because emotionalism is a matter of the soul. Whereas the Holy Spirit deals with our spirits. Mm -hmm. yep. And then deals with our minds. Now, these gifts that I've just read about, they uh, are given by the Holy Spirit. And they are not something that we can just appropriate for ourselves. Right. I've been in churches where, I've been in, outside of churches, in so-called Christian meetings where I've seen them have people come down to the front and they're going to help them get the Holy Ghost, going to help them get the Holy Spirit, going to help them learn how to speak in tongues. I don't believe you learn how to do that. I don't believe these gifts are something you can reach out and take. They are given mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit. I don't think that these gifts are necessarily for all time. I believe they're always available, but I don't believe that just because you receive the gift of some kind of wisdom, that you're all that, that gift you, you will always have that gift. You're going to be wise about everything. Notice what it says. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. So it's to be able to say something. That's wise. Now, I believe that I've had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I know I have. I have not always been wise. I have said some dumb, stupid things. Right. So if I had the ongoing gift of the utterance of wisdom, I would never have said one stupid thing in all these years. I met the Holy Spirit in 1997. I believe that's right. What was it, Nancy? You met the Holy Spirit just before. Yeah, what was it? 1977. That makes more sense. And I have said many stupid things since 1977. There have been times when I've been given the utterance of wisdom. Someone would ask me a question, and I, I had a wise answer for them. Mm -hmm. That wasn't always the case. So don't think that there's somebody that has the gift of wisdom, the utterance of wisdom, everything they're going to say will always be wise. Not so. Right. I think uh, Matt and Jason, who do the Morning Drive program on Axe Radio and Axe Facebook, I think they think that I'm wise. Mm -hmm. One morning, they asked me, they were talking 
among themselves on live on radio, and I'm off off camera. They're talking about FM and F and AM radio, and they looked over at me, and Matt said, "Dr. Collins, you've had a lot of experience in radio. What does FM mean?" I said, "Frequency modulation." They said, "What does AM mean?" And I said, "Morning." <laughs> because, you see, I didn't have the utterance of wisdom. That was simply coming out of my experience. There is a difference. <clears throat> now then, about this one, about um, the utterance of knowledge. That probably fit into that realm. I didn't have divine knowledge about FM radio and AM radio. As far as I'm concerned, AM still stands for morning. Anytime before noon. <laughs> Then he says, to another faith by the same spirit. There are times when I have had tremendous faith when I shouldn't have had. By all counts, by every measurement, I shouldn't have had faith. Because there are some circumstances you find yourself in when the only way you can look is up, you're that, that far down. Yep. Sometimes that gift of faith kicks in. And you have faith that's not going to stay that way. Then when you finally crawl out of that situation, all of a sudden, where's all that faith that I experienced? I, I submit to you that most of the time, we are running around with our faith tanks on empty. I want you to think about that. I'm giving you some wise words now. Your faith tank is empty. Sometimes mine is empty. If, even though in Romans, Paul said to every person is given a measure of faith, we can kick that around all we want to. And all the word of faith preachers, they work it over and over and over. But what faith is he talking about? Measure of faith. I'm not sure I know. I've heard all kinds of things. I agree with, with everything I heard. But I do believe we have a capacity at least to have faith. But that doesn't mean that we don't let our faith tank run on empty. Faith is a wonderful gift when all else fails. I don't know how often we have that gift. And I don't believe that the gift of faith is so that we can believe that we're going to have a new automobile or a new home or win the sweepstakes right. or the lottery. I don't believe that's the reason for the gift of faith. I read a thing the other day I should have brought with me where a very learned man, a dedicated Christian, wrote an appraisal of the Word of Faith movement about their emphasis on financial prosperity. And he said, isn't it interesting that they really don't take this message into areas overseas where people live in extreme poverty because that message will not sell to uh, people who are in Africa who are living on the verge of starvation. I think he had a major point there. Yep. That message fits for people who are almost middle class or middle class or even upper middle class income wise because it appeals to people who want to get more. Mm -hmm. They're wanting more. They're wanting more. But if you depend strictly on, on faith as, as preached by the Word of Faith people for your healing, then uh, why aren't you well? We had a lady minister and her husband, who was also ordained by Acts Ministry, the state of Texas. When I was there to do some evangelism a number of years ago, 
they came to me and they said, she said, I have a lump in my breast. And I inquired about medical exam and attention. No, uh, we are faith people and we're just believing that God will take care of it. The next time I saw her, I was back in another church there in South Central Texas holding a meeting and she came up for prayer afterwards and she had her whole right arm wrapped very, very tightly uh, because of the swelling and gathering of fluid because that lump was breast cancer and it continued to, to increase in intensity. I prayed for her. I hugged her and loved on her. My heart went out to her. A few years ago, I received word from her husband that she passed. She never went to see a doctor. She was living on the Kenneth Copeland message. She'd been buried now a number of years. Yep. So we need to be aware, of, even though there's been a major faith given to all of us, try to figure out what it's for, why. Maybe it's so we have the capacity then for faith when faith is needed. And sometimes faith would cause us to go to seek medical help when everybody else is saying don't, or when we're fearful of what we'll be told, or yep. we're afraid to be put under, we're afraid to go under the knife or whatever. Maybe those are times when we need faith. I'm told, and I was told this almost 60 years ago, that those people who go into hospitals and go into surgery who have genuine faith, they recover much more rapidly yep. than those who have no faith. Mm -hmm. There is a role for faith. What I'm trying to do is get it clarified for us. The Holy Spirit gives this as a gift. We may not live with it all the time. <coughs> Our faith tank will run on empty and then be totally empty. I remember I was preaching at St. Luke. It used to be Methodist Church here in town one time. I gave the invitation and there was a woman who came up and was kneeling with many other people for prayer. And she had a son who was in prison. And uh, I knelt down to pray for her and I said, what can I what can I pray for? She said, my faith is gone. My faith is gone. I need faith. And uh, and I I think I had a word of wisdom, an utterance of wisdom. I said, let's pray. And I will pray that you will be able to practice faith until you have it. You think about that. That's pretty wise. Practice faith until you have it. She did. Let me go on. To another gifts of healing. I've often wondered, does this mean that somebody's going to have a gift where they'll be able to lay hands on somebody and they get healed? Or does this mean that the Holy Spirit may heal us without anybody laying hands on us? I believe there are people who are healed that never have hands laid on them. They're never anointed with oil. And so, who are, who, yeah, see, I was getting hands up all over the place here. People who got healed that way, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that he is uh, obligated to always heal you? No. Nope. These gifts are for the moment, for the season, for the season. Now, there's, it's entirely possible there will be a time, for instance, in the case of Dennis Cole, when uh, <coughs> the Holy Spirit will give him a, the gift of healing to impart to somebody else. That doesn't mean he walks in that gift all the time. You don't walk in these gifts all the time. 
because there are times that we will not talk about here when you cannot, because you're in the flesh, walk in those gifts. Do you understand the underlying message here for you? <clears throat> to another, the working of miracles. There was an occasion when, many years ago when Pat Robertson and his 700 Club Christian Broadcasting Network were faced with a hurricane headed right for Virginia Beach, Virginia. He and his staff went out to the coastline and they prayed against that hurricane. And God turned it around and sent it out to sea. Does that mean that Pat Robinson can turn every hurricane around? No, because there have been many hurricanes since then that he didn't turn around. Follow what I'm saying? But because when he was running for president, this was brought up against him like he was some kind of radical because he believed that God could intervene in natural events. I hope to tell you God can intervene in natural events. Yeah. God put them all together to begin with. So to another, the working of miracles. I long for the day, uh, Marty and Greeny, when we would have Azusa Street repeat so that there would be limbs that would grow out right in front of us as they did in the Azusa Street Revival, which yep. was the watch section of Los Angeles, which they nearly burned back in the 60s. Uh, but Marty and Greeny were out there for the anniversary of, of uh, the celebration of Azusa Street. They saw tremendous visible miracles. Well, what happened to that location? Are there any visible miracles going on there now? See, the Holy Spirit does his work and then moves on. But he always comes back around for those who are willing to welcome him. I want us today, in our minds, to be fixed on this idea that we are open every one of these gifts, there are nine of them, that we be open to them, so that should the Holy Spirit select us to receive one of these gifts, that we will receive it. I can tell you one of the shyest people that's ever sat under the sound of my voice is Josh Gold. I think it would be wonderful if the Holy Spirit gifted him in such a way that he would have the boldness for miracles to happen. Once in your life, a miracle. Once in your life, somebody healed. Then we look on further to another prophecy. There are those who think prophecy simply means foretelling the future. Others think it means what I'm doing right now, speaking. I have a sense that in this particular instance, it's probably referring to someone knowing about upcoming events. There's been a time or two, perhaps more, when I have had that gift and I knew what was coming. And Nancy knows that and some others know it. But that doesn't mean that every day I know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year. Right. Sometimes I wait and wait and wait. And I ask the Lord, you've told me things in the past, but you tell me now. <laughs> and all I get is deafening silence. Because, you see, I can't appropriate these gifts. I can only be a willing vessel. He gives them, and they're seasonal. Now, when the time comes, if he wants to use me, I'm available. I'm available if on the first Sunday in January, he wants me to stand up here and do nothing but prophesy the future. I'll be glad to do it. 
these people run around as professional prophets today? Guess what? I follow them online. And I hear them in their own words. And I see them as they're talking. And already, some of them have not, they've been prophesying things that have not come to pass. And it's past due. Past due. Don't immediately, just because someone says they are a prophet, believe that they are a prophet. You really need the witness of the Holy Spirit as to whether or not they're a prophet. Plus, as they're inclined to say, that a prophet will be known if what he or she says comes to pass. If it doesn't come to pass, they are a false prophet. There are false prophets galore in America today. And now they're sprouting up in Africa and coming to America because there's more money here. And they're after money. There's not a one of them working to make an honest living. Not one of them that I know of. And I look online every week to follow what they're saying what's happening. They're selling CDs and DVDs. And they're selling books because they've convinced a lot of people that they're true prophets. And what they're saying is not coming to pass. <coughs> to another, the discernment of spirits. This is one we really should be open to have the Holy Spirit help us with. If the Holy Spirit does not enlighten us, we can be easily deceived and think that the spirit that is demonic is really the spirit of God. Very easy to be deceived in this matter. I've been deceived in it. And sometimes it's because there's a spirit at work in a person. And I I have kind of a big heart and, a, and an open mind. And I, I kind of like to be sympathetic. I'll reach out to these people. And then I discover that what was working in them was not a good spirit. It was a bad spirit. Yep. And I shouldn't have been involved with them at all. We all need discernment. That gift. How often can we have it? I don't know. But we do have a responsibility, whether we have that gift from the Holy Spirit or not, we have the responsibility to be people of discernment, even if we do not have that specific gift. Does that make sense? It's not a matter of being judgmental. It's a matter of evaluating. I remember one of the uh, administrators here at Maranatha years ago from chapel, one of them, the chaplain here, or administrator saying, Nancy would recall, said that it was not his job to judge, but it was his job to evaluate the fruit. Yep. And we do have that responsibility, evaluate the fruit. I can assure you, if we could get people in Springfield, Missouri, and the surrounding area turned on to discerning, evaluating the fruit, there would be a lot of churches shrinking. Mm-hmm. Be shrinking. To another, various kinds of tongues. I suppose in my lifetime, I've heard about many phony tongues as anybody. Especially for someone who's not regular in a Pentecostal church. I've heard a lot of phony tongues. I've heard some genuine tongues. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of phony interpretations. That's the next gift of the Spirit. If you notice, there's nothing here that indicates this particular gift of tongues is a permanent gift. None of these necessarily permanent. We have two things that have confused the body of Christ about unknown languages, etc. There's tongues and there's glossolalia. Glossolalia is really ecstatic utterances. Not necessarily a language, 
tongues is a language. You may not know the language, but someone around you is supposed to know. If it's a genuine gift from the Holy Spirit, there will be somebody there with the gift of interpretation. And I hear some of these people supposedly praying in tongues, and it's always the same thing. I can learn the language they are promoting. And I'm being a little hard on this, but it's, on, it's intentional. It is time when God is straight. I've been in churches time after time after time, and in revivals night after night after night, when the same person would always stand up for the message in tongues, so-called tongues, and the same person would always stand up and give the interpretation. Mm -hmm. If that person was absent, the pastor then supposed automatically have the gift, and he's to give the interpretation. There's nothing in the scripture that says the pastor mm -hmm. will speak in tongues or have an interpretation of tongues all right. the time. Yep. We have those who built an entire theology and a doctrinal system on and built major churches that finally stopped speaking in tongues. Do you know any large Pentecostal churches where they've kind of given up hearing tongues and interpretation of tongues? Sure you do. So do I. Yep. So those are those nine gifts. Now here's, here's my quote on this teaching message. I learned a long time ago in radio that you can only be on the air about four hours and then you had to have a break. On-air personalities did four hours on-air and then four hours putting music together, news together, writing uh, uh, commercials and so forth, writing what we used to call continuity. Four hours was about all they could handle on, on the air. I believe the same thing is true when it comes to many things involving working with human beings in a church, a congregation, or a gathering. That means if we were to have these gifts in operation, maybe, for instance, Bruce could handle wisdom for four hours. Next Sunday, maybe he's handling knowledge for four hours. When you put the pencil to it and the arithmetic to it, Leave math out of this is arithmetic. You have nine gifts. If you have 24-hour church or gathering, then you're going to have to have some people, aren't you? Even at four apiece. Because if you have four, and it takes six groups, you multiply that out, you're talking about 54 people. Going to do this seven days a week, you're looking at about 378 people. But whenever we start multiplying days to that point, things start happening, the vision set in. In the early church, there were 12, and then there were 120, and then there were 3,000, and then there were 5,000. Then along came the Apostle Paul with his ministry, and there was Peter. James and John with their ministries, and pretty soon they're gathering all these people, but about as fast as they can gather them, they started dividing. Yep. There's only a certain number of people that you can get together consistently, consistently, consistently to display these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit 24-7. Not everybody can sit in a church pew 24-7. But even if we could sit there four hours, it would be something. I think you get the message here. We need these gifts back in the church. We've got to be open to them. And I can assure you that if there's a time when you know and you're convinced that you have 
right then, we're in this gathering, one of these gifts, you are welcome to share it. Amen. Because that's what the body of Christ is really all about. Right. So, I'm finished. I hope you're not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us something to think about. It caused us to think about the way of the world. Melania Trump and her critics. It caused us to think about denominations and independent churches and various movements. It caused us to think soberly about the misuse of gifts of the Holy Spirit. None of us here in this room will offend the Holy Spirit by any stretch of the imagination. So Holy Spirit, you are very welcome always. And if we need correction, correct us. If we need enlightenment, enlighten us. Basically, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just do with us whatever you want to do with us. And if it's nothing for the time being, then we'll live with it. Because Jesus is Lord. In his name, amen. Well, those of you who would uh, join me down here, please come on down. And we'll be ready to pray for some other people. For you. We need to pray for the Lord of the United States, Lord, that we will be able to continue with this. They call it over CD. Uh, license. CDL. CDL, yes. <laughs>